we are in a capitalist economic system which can be quite violent in the way that it treats people you could almost say that the 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 sort of overriding dna of of most large companies is is ultimately unkind we we need to do business differently kindness actually is a very interesting rebellion on a few different levels structuring workplaces around kindness would lead to happier workplaces and more satisfying workplaces they might lead to slightly less profitable workplaces because they're less likely to be, to want to chew people up and spit them out most marketing ultimately is about making us compete with each other compare ourselves to each other feel like we're inadequate feel like there's something missing in our lives and so kindness is almost like the the reaction to that conspicuous consumption capitalism model where if people were just connecting and being kinder and if we looked at the way we should spend our free time as being about personal connection and kindness i think actually there's you know there's, there's something in that for me where kindness becomes part of the rebellion that we need to to radically transform uh not just individual businesses but the way that capitalism operates and the way that society operates welcome to the happy entrepreneur podcast this is a podcast for people who look at business differently it's for founders freelancers change makers and freedom seekers who want to make money do good and be happy we choose the path of the happy entrepreneur not to get rich but to express ourselves and serve others in the most authentic way we can. Many of us couldn't find our role by working for others, and so we chose to work for ourselves. We took the more uncertain path, not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We value learning, play, and friendship, and we have a need to make a meaningful impact in the world. By following the path of the happy entrepreneur, we learn as much about ourselves as we do about business. On this podcast, I have conversations with other happy entrepreneurs from different walks of life, industries and countries. We talk about the journey and about what we learned about ourselves along the way. For us, entrepreneurship isn't just a way to make money, but a journey of self-discovery and growth. If you're on the same path and are looking for inspiration and connection, then this podcast is for you. We know how it is. You're on the hamster wheel working all hours and not seeing the rewards. You're putting everyone before yourself, whether that's clients, employees or investors. Screw the exit strategy. What's your excite strategy? We've created this brand new program to help you craft a vision for the next 10 years where you get to work on your own terms and plan for a future where you work smarter, not harder. Creating products that harness your expertise so you're not always selling your time. Starting this March, a new group of 20 entrepreneurs will take the first steps towards a more meaningful future for them and their work. If you're ready to level up by crafting a new story for yourself and your business, then go to 2020.happystartups.co to learn about our flagship program to help you craft your 2020 vision. How can we challenge the idea that in business, only the unkind and ruthless rise to the top 
while the caring and compassionate get overlooked. In this beautiful conversation with Christina Keasley and Graham Alcott, we explore why we need to find more kindness in business and why we're less likely to hear about kind leaders than unkind ones. In actual fact, there are more kind leaders than we think, and we need to make people more aware that kindness is compatible with business success. While being kind may not immediately increase your profits, it will make your business more sustainable and resilient. We talk about the difference between being kind and being nice, and we also discuss what it means to be compassionate at work. This conversation is about the soft yet powerful aspect of business that few people are good at but more of us need to learn. How can we be strong leaders, yet sit with people who are struggling? Christina is a leadership coach helping purpose-driven organizations work more effectively. Graham, as well as founder of Think Productive, is also author of Productivity Ninja and is helping transform the productivity and well-being of people and organizations. Enjoy. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to another Friday Fireside from the Happy Startup School. We are battling the gremlins of tech today. We will be joined by Graham Alcott, and we are currently joined by Christina Keesley. And today we are going to be talking about kindness and leadership uh, and what that means and how that works. Um, and we'll be exploring that conversation, hopefully also not only amongst ourselves on the call, but with you viewers right now who are watching live we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions around this topic um, the chat is there for you uh, to share that uh, graham is popping in and out with his coffee um, but <laughs> as we wait for graham to to land technically as well as uh, emotionally and uh, mentally uh, why don't we do a little bit of a check-in uh, and i'm going to ask uh, christina to tell us how are you today and what time is it and where are you? I am good and I am awake, which is a beautiful thing because it is 7 a.m. and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia in the U.S. And um, so I got up at 5 this morning so that I would be awake for y'all. Yeah, you. and I'm in my office. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Lawrence, how are you? Oh, you're muted for some reason. Oh, there you go. Ah, there can you, you hear me now? I can hear you better. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm good. I wasn't awake as early as Chris, but also glad to be here. Um, actually had a nice breakfast, stroke lunch, a brunch, what we call it, brunch, <laughs> with uh, my wife this morning, which is a, a rarity in these times, so that was nice. Nice start to the day. The cool. Room. It sounds like you've, uh, yeah, you've had a relaxing one this morning. Um, Carlos, how I, are you? I am, I'm feeling excited about this call. I've, I've already had like, I don't know, feels like three hours of Zoom this morning. Um, <laughs> which on one hand, it can feel like, yeah, it's a bit draining, but they've been really nice conversations. I was on a call with Egle this morning. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm really sorry if I pronounce it wrong. Well. Uh, with a, a group, a lighthearted leaders group run by Claire really lovely group kind of feels like a, a sister um, community or brother sibling community of, of people who are just trying to do business in a nice way uh, and then I was also talking to someone else who's in Brussels about uh, the map of meaning which was lovely 
a lovely conversation. So that was, I feel energized and I'm also really excited about the conversation today. And now I want to hear from Graham now that he's here. How are you? Oh man, I've had a morning <laughs> uh, in a few different ways, but I'm very glad to be here. You probably see in the background, that's where I'm usually presenting from with my fancy lights and everything. Um, so we're on laptop number three uh, so far. Um, yeah, just absolute, just tech gremlin shit show going on here, but we're, we're okay. We're, we're raring to go. Oh, well, we'll, um, we shall settle into this conversation in, uh, in a, as relaxed way as possible. We'll bring down the energy a bit, maybe with a... If in doubt, drink tea and then it's all fine. Yes. Uh, actually, I'll join you. And pause. Okay. Um, Graham, why don't you start off by um, sharing? With Christina already gave us a little bit of background about what you're doing with the kindness happening and how that revolves. Uh, as I understand it, it revolves around a book that you're writing. Yes. Uh, so maybe why don't you set the scene in terms of why why are we having this conversation? What is it that we want to talk about? For sure. So um, the kindness happening is a four part um, thing that we're doing on Zoom in January. We've deliberately decided to call it happening rather than calling it a workshop or a discussion group or a focus group. It'll be kind of all of those things. Um, but the idea is that we'll be talking about the concept of kindness and leadership. I think basically with the book, I'm on a mission to um, really challenge the myth of the business baddie archetype. So when we think about business, we tend to think about Mr. Burns from The Simpsons and Dragon's Den and The Apprentice and Shark Tank and these kind of views of leadership and business that um, are just really pervasive in our culture. And what it often leads to is very false assumptions like you have to trample over everybody to be successful. Um, you know, it's really important to just tell people everything that you think and, and you know, ride roughshod over people's emotions. And I think not only do I think it's a nonsense, um, but also I think the reason it's of interest to us, because let's face it, you know, Donald Trump is way more interesting than Joe Biden, right? Um, and those kind of leaders uh, tend to be gossiped about a lot, discussed a lot. The reason for that is that they're anomalies and they, they're outliers. They're not how most people operate in business. And um, in addition to that, there's a part of it which makes it interesting, which is that there's a very tiny part in the back of all of our brains which says, what would it be like if we behaved in a really terrible way? And we kind, we kind of know that we logically would never do that, but there's a curiosity there and there's an interest there. And I think that whole idea really just pervades how people portray business and which I think is just a really negative um, thing in general. And also it, it slightly holds us back from um, really leaning into kindness, humanity, empathy, um, personal connection as things that actually can be really productive for business. So you know, I'm probably best known for Think Productive and my book, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And what I'm going to argue in this new book is that actually kindness is productive. 
so often we look at kindness we look at um the the whole just the whole notion of of connecting with and looking after our people as almost like a nice luxury thing that we'll do when times are good but we'll happily abandon it when times get busy and and things are tough um you know and actually on the contrary that's when you need it most that's when you really need to lean into kindness and um empathy and and that personal collect connection stuff um and i guess that what's led me to this book is um i was lucky enough to work with some very kind empathetic um leaders early in my career and i think you kind of most people learn management from their first two or three bosses right um you just copy what they do and that was always just the tone that was set for me um and i feel very grateful for that and i've spoke to a few people actually recently who said the tone's been set for them by having a really terrible first boss and then you just do the opposite of what uh they did but i think i've sort of found that you know operating business in that way has always come very naturally to me um and i just it's a bit like when i wrote productivity ninja um the backdrop to that was me fixing my own productivity and thinking that i was the last person on earth to do that and then realizing oh no actually like i'm one of the first and everybody else needs to um you know really look at productivity in this kind of a way too and i think the same is probably true with uh with kindness in that like i just take it for granted that this is just a thing that we all do and everyone's on board with and what's quite interesting is that even the people who are really on board with it are looking for new ways to think about kindness new ways to think about connection and empathy um and actually there are also lots of people who are surprisingly not on board with this and uh, you know actually need to be uh, prodded and thought provoked and poked so that's the idea of the book and um yeah i yeah couldn't think of anyone better to do this kindness happening thing with in january than chris um and uh yeah really excited to get started with it really brilliant Graham. chris did you want to add anything to that no that's, awesome. <laughs> that's nice and simple um i just wanted to uh just remind people who are watching us live uh a there's a poll there um another poll uh, just to find out whether you would rather be successful or kind uh whatever that means to you but there's also an opportunity to ask questions uh, there's a question facility there you can as well as ask questions you can vote questions up or down and so we really like to have this as a conversation that doesn't just involve us four but also those of you who are in the audience because we, we assume you have experiences and knowledge uh, around kindness and business and leadership that would be helpful to us um and so i think what sprang to mind while you're talking to talking Graham, was the two things that might be a useful thing to talk about first and it, it touches a bit on what catherine was asking in the question she was asking are kindness and compassion the same thing it would be interesting i think to maybe just frame kindness uh empathy uh, and compassion given that uh, catherine's talked about it, what does that mean for us so that we can make clear about what we're talking about here and when uh, when we have further discussions and get conversations from people so i don't know who'd like to take that uh, kindness compassion empathy whoever wants to give us a definition of that for them i'm happy to start right yeah so i think um like for me there's a sort of there's several kind of links in the chain here 
Um, so kindness in terms of using kindness as a mechanism to help people connect is a really great first step. It's something that everybody can do all of the time. And I think kindness leads to empathy, right? So once you act in a kind way, once you're looking for those opportunities to be kind, and once you're setting that as the example and the culture, what you find is other people are then looking for those opportunities too. And that requires empathy. Like you have to start, you know, really putting yourself in other people's shoes, connecting on a slightly deeper level. So kindness leads to empathy. Empathy also leads to trust. And I think trust is the thing that fuels every transaction we do in work and life, right? Um, so think productive, my company, one of our corporate values is trust and kindness are our rocket fuel. And it's like, once you have trust in a collaboration, it's easy. Once you have trust in a negotiation, it's easy. Um, and kindness and empathy are the links in the chain that that get you there. Um, in terms of the differences between them, I would say that, you know, for me, um, kindness is always about not just empathizing and putting yourself in somebody's shoes, but also doing something with a positive intention and showing that intention like that would be my definition of kindness and i think you know obviously compassion is uh something that you can express through kindness and you can also have compassion um you know just in your own thoughts um you know where maybe you don't express it too um chris i don't know if you have anything to add around compassion and your take on it yeah so when i think about um when i think about empathy, I think about um, being able to acknowledge, to basically see someone else's emotion, acknowledge the emotion, stay out of judgment, so not be judgy in the conversation, and then also um, do perspective taking. So kind of all of those four things, and that definition for me comes from Brene Brown. So. Um, I thought she did a really good job at explaining empathy. Compassion to me is about um, it's empathy and it's taken further. So it's basically seeing somebody in pain and then doing something about it. So I think about we show compassion when we see someone who's homeless and we actually look them straight in the face and talk to them and see like, how are they actually doing? And, you know, I, I just that came to me because there are so many people who are here that we pull up to a stop sign and there are people begging for food, begging for water, begging for money. And so I actually think it's, it's, it's showing compassion when you think about what it might be like to be them and you do something that is helpful for them, whether that's giving them a bottle of water or sharing food or just actually, if you can, sitting and hearing someone's story. So that's the compassion side. Um, kindness actually just, I think about, um, you may not like someone or you may not agree with someone, um, but kindness to me goes along with being human. And so, um, you engage them in a way that is for them. And it doesn't have to be like, you like that person. It could be, I'm for you because I'm for humanity in general. And, um, just don't think there's any reason to be not nice. If I don't like you, I just won't hang out with you, but I don't need to be um, not nice. Mm-hmm. So kindness and humanity kind of go together for me. Thanks, Christina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence, any thoughts that came up for you given the work that we do? 
Uh, I think Chris summed it up better than I could. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think of kindness as a mindset, really, in terms of just an approach to life. I think Catherine asked about, uh, someone asked a question about being kind to yourself as well as others. So, like Chris said about this, like, if you want humanities, it's easy to be kind to someone you like or someone you want to help. It's really hard to be kind to someone who, whose opinions you don't necessarily value or align with, um, or even yourself, like you said, being really kind to others and maybe putting yourself last. So, yeah, I think of it as a, an approach to life almost. Um, and you can manifest that through different ways, like you said, showing compassion with others, um, being empathic. So, yeah, it's kind of a mantra for me, I guess. When you were saying, Christina, about maybe sitting or stopping with someone who's homeless or, you know, on the street, um, potentially begging as well, I immediately got this un uncomfortable feeling. Like, uh, how do I sit with this person? How do I talk with this person? This idea of sitting with discomfort. And I'm, I'd rather push that away because I just don't know how to deal with that. And I'm wondering if there is a connection with kindness, empathy, and just us being able to sit with uncomfortable stuff in order to, to turn up and be present with someone. I don't know if there's anything there that either of you would like to pick up. I just saw Catherine put in the chat, like we need to be able to sit with ourselves first. And I think that's really what, what you just gave an example of, which is often other people's struggles make us face in motion in ourselves that we have that's latent in us and we don't want to deal with it. And so because we don't, because it's uncomfortable, because we don't know what to do with it, we'll actually turn away from people who could use our help, could use our compassion. <laughs> could use our empathy, could use our kindness. So as opposed to looking that person in the face, as opposed to trying to do something small to help, even if it's just to engage, yeah. um, we ignore it because it brings up so much in us, which is, that's a really good point. I always say that um, if you're in a conversation with someone or if you're in a situation and it brings up things you're uncomfortable with, the next thing to do is to turn to yourself and basically get curious about what's happening. What do you Graham. Think, Graham? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I've definitely um, noticed my own journey with that. So I, I volunteer with a, a thing called the choir with no name, which is a, a homelessness choir, which um, at the moment we mainly meet on zoom, although that's, that is actually about to change next week and we'll start singing face to face again. Um, but yeah, I've been involved with that for a couple of years. And um, what's interesting is that we do sort of tea and biscuits before we sing, then we sing, and then we eat together afterwards. And in the the early sort of phase of my volunteering with it, you would get, you know, some of our members who are either homeless and on the streets, or they're just recently housed in hostels and having really chaotic times in, you know, being shoved from pillar to post in all these different government services and everything else and when someone opens up like that to you and they tell they tell their story um it is uncomfortable and sometimes the 
discomfort with that is that you just feel like you want to you, your bias is towards action and you like you know i really want to solve this for you right now what can i do right now and actually that's not even what's needed in that moment you know what's what's needed in, in that moment is generally just that that connection with people and and sitting with it and saying um you know i i i hear you i see where you're at this is difficult um you know and just kind of just just acknowledging those emotions i think is a really important thing so that's definitely a journey i've been on and it's got easier i think you know like most things to do with kindness practice is uh, a really important thing right we we practice this stuff and and it gets easier it gets better um and and also it becomes infectious and addictive and we want to do uh, more of it i think the other definition thing that it'd be worth picking up on is um the difference between nice versus kind as well and i think sometimes i think you can you can uh possibly be in situations where it's a problem to be too nice and i think it's very rare that it's ever a problem to be too kind right and mm. so for me the difference in that is important and nice sometimes means that you're a pushover nice sometimes means that you're nodding along in, in agreement um on the outside and uh seething quietly on the inside um but you know and so kindness can be about recognizing the need for for conflict lawrence has just put in the chat tough love you know and and finding um you know ways to still have difficult conversations but in a kind way um kind people are comfortable in difficult conversations often nice people shy away from difficult conversations so i think that's a really important um distinction to make as well because I think that's part of why um we tend to shove things like kindness towards the back when it comes to business and it's you know because it's misunderstood um that we that we necessarily don't have as much kindness in in business as as we could have. I'd like to go back a little bit to what Christina said in terms of uh that discomfort that feeling that you might have around being with someone how that is a potentially a reflection of something in you because that hit me that hit hard because i was thinking what is it about the discomfort and i i for me i think is a boundaries in terms of i don't know i want to give now i want to do something i want to help this person but i want to give everything now it's like but then i i don't know how to deal with that because if is do i give do i go and get them a cup of tea do i give them 10 pounds do i then find a house with them do i try to find a job do i take this sudden and then looking at me like am i trying to control this is it me that I'm trying to get yeah. something out of this rather than help them? And so there it was well I just want to share that because like okay it's it's knowing where I am and where they are and which which bit of this is of this relationship am I trying to deal with and how that could affect other relationships we have in in these in whether it's socially or business wise. So it's really interesting about that is our desire to fix is because we don't want to feel it anymore. I don't want to feel it. So therefore, if I can go fix it, then it'll go away. And um, one of the things I actually have been just thinking about and honestly struggling with this year, which is how the hell do you process emotion? Like, how do you sit with it? Like, what, do, what does that mean? To what do you do with it? I'm like, okay, well, when I feel agitated or anxiety or uh, hopelessness, what do I, 
what do I do with it? The thing is, is there's nothing to do. You can't think your way or do your way out of it. And so that's what ends up happening is that you have to make sure that if you are going to do something for someone else, A, that they actually need it, and B, that you're not doing it just to make the emotion in you go away. Yeah. And that's often what we're doing. That's especially, I always check myself when I want to do something for another adult who has not asked me or I have not asked them. So I don't get engaged in doing something for someone else unless either they've asked me for help or I've asked them if they need help and they've said yes. Catherine's captured that. That's that's gonna be a tweet that needs to go out. Our desire to fix is when we don't want to feel it any anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, was there something you want to follow up with, uh, Graham? Um, I just think that's so well uh, encapsulated. There, I'm struggling to know how to how to follow that one. To be honest, because <laughs> um, for me, it makes me think about business in terms of. We are there to fix things, do things, make things happen, push things forward. Uh, and that's what we're there to do. And so as a leader, as a, as a team member, that drive to do um, sounds like is overriding our need to be. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and how that relates to the things that you want to talk about in terms of yeah. kindness. I mean, what's interesting is that if you take that very macro level of things, you know, we are in a capitalist economic system, which can be quite violent in the way that it treats people. Right. And so it feels like you could almost say that the, the, the sort of, overriding dna of of most large companies is is ultimately unkind all right and so it it feels to me like we we need to do business differently and it feels like kindness actually is a very interesting rebellion on a few different levels so on a on a large um how we organize business kind of level um structuring workplaces around kindness would lead to happier workplaces and more satisfying workplaces. They might lead to slightly, um, arguably, um, less profitable workplaces because they're less likely to, to want to chew people up and spit them out, um, but more sustainable workplaces in terms of mental and emotional health. Um, I think on a more uh, sort of consumerist level, the other thing about um, the capitalist economy is that if you look at the hierarchy of needs, you know, like when you when you sell food or you sell shelter, then you're meeting people's basic needs. But once those are met, if you want to advance business, then business has to look to how can it create uh gaps in your emotions that you feel like consumer products are going to fill right and so most marketing ultimately is about making us compete with each other compare ourselves to each other feel like we're inadequate 
feel like there's something missing in our lives. And so kindness is almost like the, I see it as almost like the, the reaction to that consumer conspicuous consumption capitalism model where if people were just connecting and being kinder and if we looked at the way we should spend our free time as being about personal connection and kindness um you know rather than uh, necessarily being biased towards how do we how do we buy the latest new stuff to impress people i think actually there's you know there's, there's something in that for me where kindness becomes part of the rebellion that we need to to radically transform uh, not just individual businesses, but the way that capitalism operates and the way that society operates. So I kind of look at it as almost um, this book that I'm working on is a bit of a Trojan horse, really, um, and has a sort of uh, a, a slightly bigger ulterior motive. I hear the seeds of a movement, kindness <laughs> against capitalism. <laughs> wow. That's kind um, of the idea. <laughs> so it's interesting, though, like I actually am... I love capitalism and I'm, I seriously, I, I mean, maybe that's because I live in the U S I don't know, but I, I do like, I actually love capitalism. I think it can be done way, yeah. way better, but I actually do. I think capitalism is the key to elevating humanity. I mean, I, I agree, but I think there's, um, there's an element of consumer capitalism that we just need to destroy. Right. I agree. Um, and I think there's uh I think there's there's the potential to do that, and I think we're capable of doing that. Um, someone mentioned earlier, Matt mentioned um, Rutger Bregman's book, Humankind, which is really worth mentioning. Um, I've not long finished it as well. And um, I think for me, what was most interesting with that book was like the central assumption that we tend to make about other humans is a very capitalistic, um, competitive assumption, which is like, we're all out for ourselves, we're all out to screw each other over to survive. And I think that is in the ideology of, of the capitalist system. Um, whereas what Rutger Bregman says in that book is, we take a lot of that from Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies is fiction. And actually, when um, some kids did get washed up on a desert island, they did the opposite of Lord of the Flies. And they cooperated with each other. And one guy even got a broken leg and they helped fix him with no doctors around and stuff like that. And so I think when we take, yeah, when we take away that, um, you know, feeling of anxiety that so many people have around paying the bills, survival, money, um, it actually opens up more of that creativity, which I think a good responsible capitalism could harness, you know, to do more good in the world. Um, we could have everybody working on um, how to create uh, space exploration rather than it just being a thing that you know billionaires do to show off you know it could actually be a very different um, approach to how we advance as a species it makes me it reminds me of a conversation we had with case clump where he was talking about symptoms systems and stories uh, and as well as lord of the flies the other story that springs to mind is survival of the fittest which i understand is actually not what um, Charles Darwin meant. It was the survival of the one that could adapt most. And it's also survival of the collective because fundamentally, as I understand it, we are social beings who need connection. And the reason we survived is we stayed together and we did stuff together. But there's a story 
that has shifted recently that has cemented that we think that it's about the one savior who knows it all or the only single winner and it sounds like this journey of kindness or promoting more kindness in business is about shifting these stories lawrence you want to say something oh no it just occurred to me again after reading that book humankind um but it's been said a lot before i think about we're not trained to think of the collective we're trained to be individual you know we, we're marked at school according to our own grades we're you know kind of shield our homework we're not told to collaborate we're, we're rewarded for individual performance and then that goes into the workplace and then it goes into business and it's all about success and failure not the greater whole so in some ways it's not our fault if that's the place we've ended up at we're almost having to unlearn a lot of the things that we've yeah. been that's been ingrained into us really from a very young age um we asked uh my son and daughter a question uh, a while back we said would you rather have a million pounds or a million friends and so my son said yeah million pounds great i could buy loads of xboxes and my daughter said i'd love the million friends and i said the son turned to her but you wouldn't have any money where would you live i said i'd just stay around my friend's house which one <laughs> And that for me just captured the different look at actually I just hang out. There's people who are gonna help me. <laughs> I don't need the money. So so yeah. Well there's one person who's thinking differently. <laughs> I I love the conclusion of that, but um also my thought around that was as an introvert, a, a million friends sounds so stressful. <laughs> like I'm in my head I'm thinking about the admin that that involves so like what if I love them all and then I'm just overwhelmed with like how do I keep in touch with them you know yeah how do we deal with the conflict of not being able to see them all yeah isn't that just Gary Vaynerchuk <laughs> <laughs> oh so I've, I okay oh, oh I was just saying I was just yesterday I was actually meeting with a coaching client of mine and He's having, he's struggling with one of the people who reports directly to him because the decisions that he's needing to make for the, for the school that he is the president of um, are really tough decisions right now. And um, his direct report, I think, thinks that he's uh, self-focused and like she thinks that he needs to be more other focused and it's all around being um like she thinks he's being unkind and he's like well I, I basically have kept three people on the payroll for nine months and they literally haven't done anything they've not been doing anything so they've kept their benefits and they've kept um their pay and um, they've not been working and we're a charitable organization. And so from a stewardship perspective, this is not good stewardship. And so he's running between the two, right? And she's like, well, you know, COVID's not gonna last forever. So just keep them another eight months. And he's like, I can't in good conscience do that. Like, there are all these people who are giving money to the school 
and I'm going to say like, basically you just gave money to keep three people on staff. Uh, you just paid their salaries while they're not doing anything. And it's this, um, and it's not like he let him go right away. Right. So it's given him nine months. And so it was just a really interesting conversation. It made me think about kindness and leadership and that kindness doesn't, doesn't mean you do things. Um, still have to get results and you still have to lead in the way that's best for the overarching organization. And sometimes that means that you need to let some people go, but that means you can do it. You can do it with honor, dignity, and respect, right? So you can give them time. You can give them, uh, which he's done. You can give them a heads up. Like, Hey, this is coming. This is how, how long you have left. Because if they need to look for another job, you give them time to look for another job. But I just, as we were just talking, I was thinking about this coaching client and about, like, he's he's really struggling because his direct report is like, well, you're being unkind. And he's like, I, I don't think I am. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was an interesting conversation yesterday. To kind you of might be being unnice, you know. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I was just going to say, we, we, the, one of the questions that's been voted up is how can we uh, bring more kindness to work? It sounds like it's a topic that we're touching on now. Yeah. And it relates, I think, to what you said earlier, Graham, about kindness and niceness and and, and discomfort and conflict, maybe. Um, so, yeah, why don't we take that on and see what does it mean? How can we how can we use kindness at work, given we are also results-oriented as a business? Well, I mean, I was just going to pick up on um, Chris's story there and 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 just sort of add add my own personal experience to this which is a couple of times in the last two three years where my company's had to make redundancies um you know we've it's been uh what with brexit and covid and everything else it's been a, a very up and down roller coaster for business um over the last um few years and i mean i remember the last um person we made redundant there was myself and our md and and that person sat in a room um and we went through the decision and we did it in the kindest way that we could um and all three of the people in that room cried before we left the room you know um and we didn't want to lose her she didn't want to go um but she accepted it she understood um because we were transparent and honest and laid it out and um that that's a million miles from finding out via a text message right there's different ways of doing the same thing and yes you know part of that has to be about um having a focus on results and that's what we ultimately had to do for the the wider survival of things um and it's it's not easy but it's actually for me it's it's if you're gonna have to do that do it in a in a kind way and do it in a, a way that 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 gives people dignity i remember a few years ago did a i did a study tour around social enterprises in the north of India. And I remember coming away from this week of visiting probably a you know a dozen or so social enterprises from really big ones, Jaipal Rugs, you know, famous organizations, right through to tiny little um, you know, three person startup social enterprises. And it almost felt like every single leader I spoke to in that environment, the word that really uh resonated from their soul was dignity, every single time, dignity. And it feels like that's a really important thing um, 
to sort of have at the front of your mind, not only in the 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 way that you manage people in the way that you work, but in the way that you're, you know, particularly if you're if you're in, involved in charities and social enterprises and stuff, the way that you know you're directing services. But it's the same for any company too, right? Like dignity is, it, you know, it's pretty important that. Uh, customers feel that that sense of, of dignity in the way that they're um, interacted with, you know, and feel mm. listened to and so on. Um, I, I sort of have this like, um, almost like a, a kind of mantra. There was like a period in the business where it felt like everybody was going through personal crises. And for a while, we had the idea that uh, perhaps as a business, we were cursed. Um, like every single employee just had so many you know problems going on in their family people getting sick like you know just really horrible stuff happening in their personal lives um you know relationship breakdowns really stressful stuff for a while we thought that we were just cursed and then and then after we realized that no it's just that there's a lot of suffering in life right like just have to sort of uh, take take it as life is suffering but um through that time we we sort of developed this mantra and this approach that was people first work second always um, and that phrase was really to say that no matter how busy we are, um, no matter how many deadlines there are coming up, no matter what clients need from us, we need to make sure that we put people first and work second. And mm -hmm. if that means they need a day off, go and have a day off. I know we're busy. I know there's all this stuff right here that feels like it's burning. If you have that day off, other people will pitch in and they will, they will support that work. Um, and that's my job as a leader to sort that out because your job is to, is to go and, um, you know, deal with the things that in your, in your lives are going to preoccupy if you try and struggle through with work right now. If, you, if you're sat at your desk, you're going to be thinking about all that stuff from, um, you know, from your home life. You're, you're not going to do a great day's work. Like, what's the point in trying to pretend otherwise, you know? So take that time, take that space, go and deal with it. Um, you know, people first, work second, always. And so no matter how busy we are, always that's the case. But also it's always somebody's always, right? So when you've got a team of people, um, there's always somebody in that team who's going through some kind of struggle. Either you know about it or you don't, but it's happening, right? So that always is, is also a way of, of saying, be on the lookout for that. Like that, that should be on your radar all the time. Um, and just to get practical about it, you know, how we deal with that. So often if, if we get that text saying, hey, you know, Graham, something's happened, blah, blah, blah. I will send a, a longer message back and somewhere in that message, I'll have the phrase people first work second, always. I'm, you know, I've typed it a hundred times in WhatsApp in the last, <laughs> in the last two or three years. And, you know, like it's one of those things where the moment you start to get bored of typing it, it probably still hasn't sunk in. You know, it, it feels like a really important principle for us to, um, you know, to have that sort of in our DNA as a business. Um, but I think there's ways that you can, be scanning the horizons for where the always is might be and where the, you know, where the pain might be that you don't know about. Um, I'm a big fan of Nancy Klein's work and she has um, uh, this whole framework called the thinking environment and um, a book called time to think, which is really worth checking out. One of the things she does is at the start of every meeting um, you do an opening round where basically everyone checks in and you, Gen generally the format i mean you can change the format um, for it a little bit but um generally the format that i use is um how are you feeling today and just tell us one thing that's going well and that could be a work thing it could be a personal thing um, but you just go around the circle in the room before you get onto any business and just arrive and check in and her thinking behind that is that 
um, everyone needs that moment to just arrive, settle, land, and kind of be present and be in the room. And then that creates more empathy, more kindness, more connection. And then you do the same thing at the end. So at the end, you reflect back. So you've you've begun the meeting with a positive reality, one thing that's going well, and then you end the meeting with a positive reality that reflects back on that meeting. So one thing you valued from this meeting, and then one thing you're looking forward to. So you kind of check out in the same way that you checked in. Um, and that principle, I mean, we do that with every single meeting that we run internally. We often do it with with client meetings as well. And it always throws up something amazing. You know, it, it's just it just never fails. Um, we were doing that. We had a co I remember we had a COVID crisis meeting, right? March the I don't know what it was, the 10th or whatever the, that time was where it just suddenly felt like, oh, this is real in England. We need to do something. And we'd had, you know, a spate of of uh, clients calling us in the couple of days before saying, hey, can we reschedule? Can we cancel? You know, it just felt like work was just all kind of falling, uh, falling off the map. Um, and it was really hard in that moment to be like, okay, so what's going well? Uh, I had a good breakfast, you know, so you're really down to the bare bones in how you talk about that. But even then, just to have that moment of, of just thinking there's something else that even in the midst of this awful thing that's happening, there's something to be hold on to and be grateful for and that we can control. Um, you know, we carried on doing uh, doing that opening round, even though it felt so, you know, it felt felt almost stupid to be doing it at, at some of those moments. But it, but it actually really set the tone for those meetings being valuable and and people, uh, you know, being and, and us being able to see that, you know, people are really scared by this stuff. Like part of our job is to is to reassure and to be curious and to, you know, really explore um where that fear is and and you know uh what we need to express around that what we can do about it um, yeah. but yeah just a really important principle and and you can do this in so many other ways right like kind emails kind meetings uh, there's so many other um ways that we can do this but it's important to just make it practical i think uh, so um what's brought to mind when you're talking about that check-in is um there's also being able to offer what's not going well before you land. Yeah. Because I think yeah. when you come into a conversation or is coming into a meeting and, and there's something in the back of your mind that you haven't dealt with yet, one of the things I've seen is like doing a check-in and then whoever doesn't feel great, just being able to share that and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm arriving with this. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then having what well, seems to be part of this is also having the group be able to sit with that and I think I'm not sure if Christina, you have anything to say about this, but it feels like when we were talking before about sitting with discomfort, it's being able to sit with people who will arrive at a meeting not ready, not on, the, not a hundred percent, and what that means, or what does that mean for the group as a learning experience? I think it's really important to practice being with other people in their pain. If they're willing to share it to not gloss over it. And so um, sometimes it doesn't take more than, you know, a minute or even 30 seconds, but it's giving somebody the, like, really listen. So if you're going to check in, really listen and, like, weigh what someone's saying. You know, somebody says, like, you know, I just found out, like, my mom has cancer. Like they may not have processed all of it or, you know, you don't have any idea where they're at, but just being able to like um, not move on right away 
And I don't, I don't mean like wait five minutes either. I mean, just like everybody kind of take a breath and just say like, wow, I'm really sorry. That's gotta be really hard. And the person might not want to talk about it and that's great. Or they may want to talk about it and being able to give a little bit of space to that is, is good. But it's practicing being with, being with as opposed to fixing. We were talking earlier, Graham, you were talking about trust. Um, the other word that sprang to mind was transparency. And I, I, I remember it now because it's about being seen. It's about everything, in a sense, being visible so that we don't assume or we don't gloss over or we don't acknowledge um, and though that can be quite challenging in business as well, this idea of transparency. I hear a lot in new age structures of being in business where we're fully transparent, whether it's salaries and feelings. And is there anything there that, that is part of this kindness in, in business? Well, it's funny, isn't it? So we tend to, if you, one of the first things certainly I think about when you think about businesses being utterly transparent with their people is, does that mean you disclose everybody's salaries to each other? And what does that bring up? And I think that probably brings us back to that systemic um, sort of uh, sort of part of capitalism, which, which, which makes us feel like we need to compete with each other or compare ourselves to each other. Um, but I think it probably becomes easier to be transparent on salary information as it would be with any other decision um, when there is more of that sense of cooperation like Lawrence was saying before like we are taught from school to sort of you know focus on our own grades and then and then compare ourselves to other people in the room so I'm I'm just really curious about that and how more kindness in the culture of an organization might lead to it then being easier to value someone on a higher salary without feeling jealous towards them <laughs> um, or you know, or or the opposite of that, right? Like value someone who's who's paid way less than you, but really kind of put yourself in their um, in in their shoes in a different way. So, so I think that's a really interesting one. I mean, personally, um, we're we're pretty transparent in the way that we make decisions, um, but we're in quite a small company, and I know it. Obviously, the bigger you get, um, it certainly feels like the harder it is to uh, to deal with that transparency. And probably, you know, from from most from revealing most transparency in that in you know in large organizations i guess my instinct is there's then lots of conversation and justification that you have to uh, engage in which is probably why a lot of large organizations kind of tend to try and try and limit the conversations because you're trying to keep people focused on the stuff that produces value and produces profit right hmm. i was just thinking that the more transparent you are in some cases the more uh, emotion that people will have which would then require like you said yeah. more conversation which then would take away potentially from work interestingly enough though it also may cause people to get curious about why they feel the way they feel but um, that doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more blaming and a lot more like the compare, compete <clears throat> that happens. It gets uh, focused externally, projected externally versus like, why do I feel like I 
need to get paid the same as this other person or why do I feel like you know this thing but it also I think in some cases would really um, show things like women getting paid less than men um, minority discrepancies and so transparency would actually potentially drive businesses to need to be fair yeah mm. And so it actually could open up a can that people just aren't ready to open up. And so it's a really good conversation because I think you could argue for and against it, but there are some things that just would be truth, which is Mm -hmm. like, if you saw all of it, it would expose a lot of things that would need to be dealt with. And that's what's happened with BBC, right? What? Uh, with the BBC, they've you know last few years publicly um, communicated the salaries of their best paid you know presenters, and it's highlighted a huge pay gap between men and women. Which is mm. yeah, I guess there's some people who've got a lot to lose and others who've got a lot to gain. Um, but but also um, it reminds me of um, Warren Buffett's view of feminism, which is I think just a really interesting way of flipping what Chris is saying around there. So it can feel like organizations want to avoid that transparency and want to avoid exposing things that are unfair but actually if it then triggers more fairness um <laughs> then we don't necessarily need to see that thing as, as as a negative thing on on the bottom line right so warren buffett's view of feminism is basically he says i'm really bullish about america because we seem to have undervalued 50 percent of the talent pool for the last 20, 30, 40 years. And actually, if we start valuing those people well, just imagine what they'll do, right? So, you know, he classes himself as a feminist because he says, well, actually, there's there's such an opportunity there. So fairness actually will drive, you know, more innovation, putting, putting women with much more capability than certain men in certain roles. And that's a great thing, isn't it? So I think that's the thing. Sometimes we're, we're again, taught to view the idea of a level playing field or fairness as somehow a threatening idea for business and actually we need to see it as the rocket fuel hmm. so i feel we've, we've had this little journey of this this idea of kindness and from there there's this idea we're talking about trust and transparency how this transparency can actually lead to maybe challenging conversations that will come up with more fairness more equality because we're able to see what's not been seen before or talk about what's been not talked about before rooting from this idea of kindness and so i wanted to finish off when we're talking about being kind in business and being kind to others um one of the top questions here is often we are kinder to others than to ourselves how do we put ourselves first or where does that come in with this idea of kindness and business that's a complicated word right there because <laughs> there there are a lot of reasons that we are not kind to ourselves so one of the things that you'd have to start with is trying to figure out why you aren't kind to yourself. It really starts there, is figuring out like, what does it mean to be kind to yourself? But 
the big thing is, is like, why? And there, they, they really are. There are a lot of answers to that, but that's actually where that has to start. It's figuring out. Mm. I suspect there's a lot of guilt, right? Um, in terms of, am I worthy of that kindness to myself? Well, it can be like, I'd say the Christian community is raised that we're not supposed to actually think about ourselves at all. Mm. And so then there is guilt around if you do think about yourself, it's viewed as selfish. And that's just one population. I mean, there are multiple, right? There are multiple things that contribute, but just because I was raised Christian, um, it, it just is, it's a big tenant of um, the faith is that we're not supposed to be about us. But it's very, the way it's been delivered, it's been kind of warped and it's, you know, the whole idea of like, put your oxygen mask on first. At, you know, I'm not sure where that is in the Bible. It probably is in there somewhere. I don't know, but the other part is the thing that's been stressed and so there's tons of guilt. But like, so that's just, like I said, one context. You could grab another context and be the thing about like, well, that basically says you're weak, right? So this whole com this whole self compassion movement, like, I, I can tell you that when somebody somebody asked me like 15 years ago, I think it was one of my like a therapist, and she said, you know, like, what do you do for self care? I wanted to punch her. I was like, what are you saying? That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like that is dumb. Hello, football coach as a father. And so there was none of that in my house. What? What? What is that? What do you do for yourself? You work out. That's what you do for yourself. Run this a bubble bath. Uh, no. <laughs> no, friend. That did not happen. In my house. No. So I don't know. Graham, you probably, and you guys have probably actually have other contexts too that just they go against that they go against showing up and being kind to yourself well i was i was you know raised in a christian household as well and um you know there's a reason that max faber called his most famous book the protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism right and it we have this guilt in the way that we work um i'll share a very quick uh sort of very personal story about the the the, the kind of self-care aspect to this which is that um a couple of weeks ago I, I tend to get um seasonal affective disorder quite a lot um and i had it really badly this year and um, particularly a couple of weeks ago and i wrote about it on my email list last week um basically saying i've just had like the worst <laughs> the worst couple of weeks um like in work and just and in terms of mental health for quite a few years and what was incredible was and I you know, probably should have predicted this and I just didn't at all, but it, and it, so it just really kind of took me by surprise was how many people wrote back to me, giving me kind of versions of just like a digital hug, you know, just saying, you're doing great, you know, thank you for doing what you do, keep doing it, hope you're okay. And also loads of people responding saying, I've just had a really tough week in terms of my mental health. A um, couple of people actually saying to me, I've never felt like I've struggled mentally before and I was off this week, you know? So really, um, you know, feeling like there was kind of something in the air during that period. But what was funny was how a couple of my team members at different points as I was sharing this with them, 
you know, I was going to say in person, obviously on Zoom in person, but you get the idea um, that they reminded me of my own mantra of people first, work second, always. And it's like, yeah, Graham, you know, that includes you too, right? And so even though that's something that I believe in so passionately, it is much easier to think about, um, you know, care care of other people, care for other people sometimes than it is to um, really admit that you need to take more care of yourself. Um, and, um, you know, that that was really interesting to me that even though this is a thing that I'm thinking about all the time and um, researching this book on, um, I need to apply some of those principles in the, the conversations that I have with myself too. And I, f I find that there's a lot of guilt um, and a lot of uh, anxiety and fear and sort of beating ourselves up when it comes to work. I think I often feel like um, my job as as a productivity author and coach and speaker is kind of 90% dealing with people's fear and guilt, really. You know, that's a huge part of uh, what I do as a, as a productivity coach. But I think there's always that voice in my head that's saying, you need to be doing more, you need to be doing more. You know, you had two or three hours where you weren't on form, so get up earlier tomorrow. Like, I have all those thoughts all the time. What's really interesting is when you really admit okay, I'm exhausted and I need help and I'm done and I need to be in bed. That voice just like disappeared for me for that week. And, you know, I, I suppose that shows us that uh, that voice is not ever necessary, right? Like if 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 at those moments it can disappear, um, why do we need it at all? You know, so I, I suppose that that's the thing for me that it uncovers is that there's some work for me to do there uh you know just around where is that anxiety coming from actually like what is that ego am i comparing myself to to other people am i worried about money like what's the what is it you know and so i think that's maybe an certainly a thing i've noticed for myself and maybe an invitation if if you're similarly having a, a rough time of it is like you know allow yourself to have that rough time and let go of some of that anxiety and fear and guilt mm -hmm. thanks Graham. <laughs> Mm. I'm just uh, trying to shout to Catherine about her wood fired hot tub. Uh, right now, my, my head is there now. <laughs> perfect place for self care. Um, yeah, no, I, what Graham said really struck a chord, really. I've been feeling flat. I mean, nowhere near as bad as what you've been through. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've been talking to a lot of people who, but at the weight of this year in particular, even for those of us that don't suffer from. Um, that sort of disorder of struggle with it because it's yeah it's like just a big breath out almost yeah um, and the energy i just found hasn't been there um but yeah one thing that's helped me is really and I, that book i shared earlier um helps me a lot that book give and take by adam grant where he talked about the most successful givers and and what that what their sort of habits look like and there was definitely a bit of boundary setting with with those people that he talked about the idea of being otherish so having you know um, looking after others whilst at the same time balancing that we're looking after ourselves um and for me it's just framing it as i'd rather be the best, best version of me for everyone else and i know what that feels like now you know having maybe gone too far the other way and pushed myself too hard and just given too much so yeah i think maybe it's just about knowing your limits um trial and error maybe in terms of what works for you but yeah i think we're all guilty of falling into bad habits too so it's um, 
like you said, just reaching out sounds like Graham as well. Just 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 sharing, yeah. and, and that alone feels cathartic, as well as all the support you know that you got from that. There's um. <clears throat> what do you do for self care? Well, it, it's, it's, it resonates a lot with what um, Graham was just saying, in terms of well, firstly, self care fortnight at least half an hour fortnight with Marcellus, one of our mates online, play a game, great. But based on what Graham was talking about before, about awareness, um, what sprang to mind is that we, we invest a lot of money in upgrading our buildings, offices, machines, laptops. Oh, my lovely laptop. Laptops, um, phones, uh, learning, you know, our professional skills. But how much value do we place in investing in understanding who we are? And where stuff comes from and one of the one of the uh phrases that sticks in my head from one of our altitude retreats a guy called Euron means he said to me or said to us actually there's no professional development without personal development and when you're talking about how do we make capitalism better there's no development in that system without development around the people in it and the kindness that underpins it and this is the link for me is that there's this intangible thing that has nothing to do with the structures and the processes, but is real <laughs> that we haven't tackled and we don't talk about enough. And that's why I'm really excited about this. And this is for me, the way it lands for me is self-awareness. It's like, why am I anxious? Not, oh, I'm anxious. That's me being weak. It's like, there's something there. And if I knew more about that, which some people call self-work, some people call therapies, whatever you call it, but essentially it's actually looking at yourself with a bit more clarity. I think from what um, Christina was talking about before, if I can sit with that, then I'm more likely to be able to sit with other people. Yeah. And that for me is why I'm really fascinated by what you're going to be doing together in terms of taking people through that journey of sitting with stuff. <laughs> Actually, one thing I'll share just as we were talking was I think you talked about at the beginning the idea of having maybe bosses who inspired us, or maybe didn't. <laughs> maybe they were the unkind people who made us think there's got to be a better way. But I was thinking about this as you were talking, you know, how important it is to have those role models in business that we can look up to and say they're doing it this way and this works for them. Yeah. So I think that's part of maybe your mission with this is how can we amplify those stories and not let the Trumps and the Alan Sugars of the world kind of dominate our narrative around what leaders, what, what successful leaders look like or the only way we can have successful leadership. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult challenge because, um, so someone put in the comments earlier, um, it feels like it's way easier to be a wanker, right? But also <laughs> um, it's way more interesting to hear what those people do and say. And, you know, it's just it's compelling tv right like yes. whatever you think of trump's politics uh he's a compelling figure it's he's fascinating it's like what on earth will he do next the rules have gone you know and so um the opposite is true of a lot of people who are who are kind um generous leaders is that they're quietly going about very boring acts of kindness <laughs> right? and so we know that the results of that are interesting but the actual process of it often isn't. And so I think we need, you know, it's a big challenge for me with this book and 
what we're going to be doing with the kindness happening is trying to elevate some of those stories you know um i mean tony shea really good example from zappos who sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago um john timpson um mm -hmm. the founder and ceo of timpsons in the uk the weird uh why why do you why do you go to the same place to cut keys as sort your shoes out it's an odd thing isn't it <laughs> but um like, I don't know why are all those things together but in that business you know he employs ex-offenders he buys up holiday properties for his employees to go on holiday if they can't afford one um, he gives people a lot of autonomy to make their own decisions um, kindness really runs through the culture of his organization and his guess what his retention rates for his staff are really really high mm. and guess what when you've got um, people who come out of, of prison and have that that sort of tainted record that means that they're going up for jobs and being knocked back again and again. When somebody shows that that little bit of kindness and gives that person a chance, they're going to be loyal. You know, this is stuff that's um, for him tactical and strategic, as well as being the right thing to do. It actually ends up supporting and helping his business. Awesome. Well. Um... I think maybe we just end on maybe some final thoughts. You know, we've gone on this journey of um, defining kindness, compassion, um, empathy. Um, I think we've had a bit of a how do we operationalize this kindness thing? Uh, and also a bit around being kind to ourselves in order to be kind to others. And how do we put ourselves first? So how would you want to summarize? Is there anything else that you'd like to end with uh, for for yourself as much as for anyone listening? Um, so I'll, uh, I'll invite Christina. What's, um, what's alive in you now? Okay. Say that one more time. Sorry. I was actually, I was over here in the chat with Apple. <laughs> she, cause she just actually, she just like dropped something that I was like, uh, go for it so well that's good. alive in you now yeah okay so what she basically just said was is that like family and relatives and other people can be harsh when they always comment a lot about your weight or your physique or status in life when there's a gathering um and like how do you be kind um as opposed to like want to bitch slap somebody because that's what i mean because in your head you want to bitch slap somebody right like you're like are you, are you kidding me that you said that out loud but also it's so painful and so um when i think about kindness is a choice and kindness is truth with grace so right i'm thinking about like i'd have to go process that like i'd have to go process my pain with someone that is safe for me so like i'd probably call like one of my friends um and i'd be like can i process this with you and then i'd probably go back to the person and say hey so uh, i'm sure that your intention was not to actually hurt me but what you said the impact of it it was really painful and i'd really appreciate it if like you don't say that anymore to me um, cause, cause for our relationship, I'm sure that you don't want to cause me pain. And so that's being truthful, but also being for the person and just saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm sure that that was not what you intended, but it is the impact that you have. 
And so, um, yeah, that's the thing that's alive for me is those conversations are so hard to have. But if you don't have them, you're not actually setting up the boundary for yourself that says, this is okay with me and this is not okay with me. And in relationships, part of what's kind is having boundaries and sharing those with people. Lovely, beautiful. Thank you very much, Christina. Graham. Yeah, I mean, that just feels like a really good um, note to end on. Yeah, so I, I feel like the most important thing is making this practical. Um, so thinking about how that relates to our conversations, um, our emails, our meetings. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm imagining most people watching this are pretty sold on the idea of kindness and, and kind leadership and um, being kind leaders, you know, being a good thing. But I think we need to just just take a bit of an inventory of our day-to-day -day activities, practices, you know, policies, um, and just look at how that then relates to culture and how, how that relates to kindness. So, mm -hmm. you know, if in doubt, start looking at the things that you do and just dive into some of the minutiae of those things, whether it's a conversation, whether it's an email, um, and think about how kindness um, can play more of a role in that than i think for me it's from those small things that we get to um challenging some of those bigger issues and making bigger changes brilliant lawrence um yeah when chris was talking i think how important it would be to have a uh, work with people on on this kind of platform <laughs> just listening to chris talk and mm. i think i could possibly learn more from chris coaching a leader through some of these conversations and I could from any sort of uh, book or as, as I'm sure great as a course will be, you know, this idea of really digging into the weeds of what it means to make decisions when the easiest thing to do is do what you normally would do or what society tells us to do. So, yeah, I think that's the interesting thing for me is creating these spaces where we can have these conversations and I guess getting some of the people who aren't in this bubble too, that's something I'm conscious of, is how can we mm. obviously empower those that are kind people generally anyway and just have brought that to their business and need more permission to do it. But also how we can, you know, like you said, Graham, at the beginning, people who, not that we want to kind of bring the naysayers with us, but get them curious enough to go, oh, hang on a minute, there is actually maybe a business benefit to doing things this way, not just it's nice and fluffy and for the hippie types like us. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I guess this is a quest we've been on for the last few years too. Really, is how can how can this not be the exception but be the norm? Oh, that's so good. Um, it reminds me this morning I was in a conversation where someone was talking about being a lighthouse, uh, and a lighthouse attract well it's supposed to warn you away from the rocks, but it's a beacon. It, it, you know where that is, and so you know what what what's over there. But a lighthouse doesn't chase. It doesn't chase the boats. It doesn't run after them. It just shines. So I feel there's something here around letting this kindness shine, um, particularly kindness in business. Uh, I loved the idea of kindness as a choice, uh, whoever said that, and, and also uh, this idea of being boundaries delivered with love. Uh, that's that what Apple shared I felt it that whole, particularly when it's someone close to you, whether you're a family member or a close colleague or a friend, being able to not bitch slap them straight away, 
but respond in a much more powerful way. It feels that really resonated for me. And uh, I found this conversation super illuminating. I'm going to have to listen to this again, actually. And, and I'm, I'm hoping Lawrence is going to be able to capture all of this stuff for you um, in some uh, 10 tips. There we go. We got it. <laughs> I'm learning the hard way. I don't want to have to listen to it like twice again to, <laughs> to get the, the 10 things that we learned from Chris and Graham. <laughs> Coming to a social media platform near you. Um, to end off, uh, Graham, uh, please share a bit more about um, what's happening in January. So if anyone wants to find out more about The Kindness Happening. Yeah, so The Kindness Happening is a four-part Zoom series. It's a couple of hours on a Thursday evening UK time, uh, starting 14th of January. And um, really, coming back to what Lawrence was saying before, my ulterior motive with The Kindness Happening is just sort of locking Chris in a room and letting her talk and uh, learning from it, to be honest. So that's, a, that's going to be a big part of it. We've got some special guests coming on as well. Um, people like Dave McQueen and Sally Ann Airy, who'll be familiar to um, some of you as well. Um, and uh, the idea is to really just spark conversations around how do we create more of a movement around kindness and leadership. So um, it'll be some of some of it will be us talking, but a lot of it will also be everybody talking together. And it's limited to a maximum of 40 people because did you know that's the the highest number that you can get on one Zoom screen? And we oh, thought yeah. for this conversation, it was really important to see everybody's faces. Um, so if you go to Eventbrite and just put in the kindness happening, um, you'd be able to get the details of that. Um, there's still some tickets. And um, I think if you use the code FRIEND15, then you'll get a 15% discount as well. And if um, that doesn't work, just email me and I'll, I'll sort you one out. Um, yeah, um, FRIEND15, there we go. Your email address for people who would like to find out more or get in touch. Yeah, so I'm just graham at thinkproductive.co.uk and also on Instagram at, at Graham Alcott um, and on LinkedIn too. So, um, yeah, we'd love to connect and find out more. Like the the plan for um, the next three or four months is really deep diving into case studies around kind leaders and how do we elevate them and make their stories as uh, compelling as some of the unkind leaders um, and really getting into some of the research around this as well. So um, if you've got thoughts and stories and uh things that you'd like to share as part of that writing process of the book then i'd love to hear that too so yeah drop me a line wow. thank you so seeing christina do her magic uh if you want to see that you've heard you've had a taste of the of the wealth of information and depth of feeling that you can get from chris right now imagine uh whole how many sessions? Five so sessions? Four weeks, yes. It's four, four, four weeks, weeks. for Christina. Yeah. Just imagine you'll be a, like a kindness ninja by the end of that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, looking forward to see the app so you can have Christina's kindness in your pocket. Boy, actually, that came out wrong. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, everyone, for, for joining us and for your patience. Really appreciate your questions. I'm sorry if we didn't get around to all of them. Really love your comments. And, uh, yeah, check out the links in the chat uh, and if you're watching the recording um yeah all of the content is there on the chat as well if you're listening to the to the uh podcast you can get to the crowdcast i'll put the links into the show notes so you can see the chat as well have a great rest of the day everyone really yeah. enjoyed this um, thank you so much thanks everybody take care awesome have a good day bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.
we know how it is. You're on the hamster wheel working all hours and not seeing the rewards. You're putting everyone before yourself, whether that's clients, employees, or investors. Screw the exit strategy. What's your excite strategy? We've created this brand new program to help you craft a vision for the next 10 years, where you get to work on your own terms and plan for a future where you work smarter, not harder. Creating products that harness your expertise so you're not always selling your time. Starting this March, a new group of 20 entrepreneurs will take the first steps towards a more meaningful future for them and their work. If you're ready to level up by crafting a new story for yourself and your business, then go to 2020.happystartups.co to learn about our flagship program to help you craft your 2020 vision. Thank you for listening to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Also, if you'd like to learn more about being a happy entrepreneur and want to connect with more people like you, then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Amongst many other things about business and life, we'll help you answer the following questions. How can I serve others by being myself? And how can I discover who I really am by serving others?